Hello and welcome to Spotlight on Inclusive Coaching, a podcast series brought to you by Active Herefordshire in Worcestershire and the University of Worcester. The series aims to inspire and inform aspiring coaches across all sports and disciplines who are interested in gaining knowledge about how inclusive coaching can have a huge impact upon the athletes and the differences and similarities about how it should be approached. So we're inviting coaches to engage with us, take away some tips and see how they feel about inclusive coaching. There are six podcasts in the series covering a mixture of sports, ice skating, football, tennis, athletics, rugby and basketball. In these interviews, we're going to discover how our coaches have adapted and rounded their skills to become more inclusive and what it requires each time they step on the pitch, the court or the arena with their athletes. We'll talk about the challenges faced and the incredible rewards too. In this episode, we're discussing inclusive coaching in detail with the people behind the project. They'll share their thoughts on what you should be listening out for in our chats with the coaches, plus comment on some of the insights they're going to share. My name is Rich Hurst and I'll be your host throughout the series. So, welcome everybody. Uh, Why don't you start by introducing yourselves? I'm Steve Brewster, I'm the Chief Executive of Active Herefordshire and Worcestershire. I'm Bronwyn Stubbings. I'm the Project Officer for the Workforce at Active Herefordshire and Worcestershire. Uh, Dr Andy Cale, Director of Coaching, University of Worcester. Simon Thomas, Deputy CEO, Active Herefordshire and Worcestershire. Great. So I think, first off, can we just, I suppose, get a, an idea from the Active Hereford and Worcester side about the idea of the Coaches Network? The Coaches is... Uh, encompassing coaches is in coach, encompassing clubs, volunteers, and also the professional sort of workforce. So those are working in leisure centres and leisure operators and that sort of thing as well. The idea of it is it's a really umbrella to provide support for coaches. So that support could be uh, additional information, so content to help them that they can read. It could be coming along to. Uh, workshops or listening to to podcasts like we're doing at the moment Um, or it could be part of a sort of to discuss a hot topic a recent one was care where something that's really important for everyone's interest we're just sharing Uh, and Andy as well the the network as a whole has got quite a bit of potential hasn't it I think it's got fantastic potential Um, partnerships like University of Worcester with Active Hereford and Worcestershire and other clubs and networks is important because um, we can provide support and development for the local coaches out there that that need some help um, in in all sorts of things. And and I think our job and the job of the partnership is uh, to be there to to help provide some of that support. Mm And, and Steve, from your point of view, what, what does, how does it work and how does it cascade and, and, and feed sort of upwards and downwards? Well, in, in, in we, our mission in life is to get more people moving, um, phys- getting them more physically active, playing more sport. Um, that generally um, needs an instructor coach, a volunteer, someone to, to lead or, or steer or guide the session. And, and we know that, that, obviously, pandemic and now cost of living, that, that getting coaches to the table is not always that easy there's been a big drop off in coaches so in the strategic sense that uh, that Sport England through their various strategies and, and down to us locally the workforce to actually help us get Herefordshire and Worcestershire moving is actually really key really important and some of those skills have been lost during the pandemic and some of them um, just need to bo- to reboot their volunteer workforce, to reboot their coaches and get their badges and to move and get 
get that deeper breadth and depth of, of experiences. Um, so yeah, this is the workforce element is is crucial, and coaches are a key part of that. And focusing on the in- inclusive element as well, why why do we feel that is increasingly important now? Well, the, the, we know through through active lives and other data sets that that, that certain populations, certain geographies are. are further away from regular opportunities than, than, than others and having a workforce that can empathise with that and actually just try and encourage, motivate, steer, guide, teach um, to actually keep them motivated to keep coming back is actually um, an important element of it. Um, so, yeah, it, it, some of that skills, uh, the volunteer workforce during the pandemic, I mean, because everyone just stopped doing stuff, didn't they? So they, they, their badges expired, the qualifications expired, and, and so it, some of it is about technical skills, but more importantly from us, it's about participation. So it does beg the question, it's something we've asked all of our guests about what inclusive coaching looks like in your sport. But from, from this level here, and, you know, it's something we would all want to have a discussion about, what do we see as in, what do we see as inclusive now? So, Steve, what do we what do we see as inclusive within sport and within coaching now? It's a good question in terms of equality, equity, and and, and some of those discussions that that, that we have. But um, just giving someone the equal well, the, a chance to participate in in the activity of their choice, and and our job in in the broader context is about trying to remove those barriers, and having someone who can empathise with you as an individual whether you want to compete at that uh, elite level or you just want to kick about with friends and just being able to to pitch it to the right level. But that inclusive nature is being that coach who's technically able to adapt, to flex, to change so they can be more inclusive, whether that is just a, a minor adjustment or it's a fundamental change in their, their, the way they do. That's the inclusive nature of it. And, mm. and we find most coaches are just open for that discussion um, and open to, to, to be able to make a difference locally. I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a massive thing, really. Um, I don't think you can put one definition to inclusive coaching, but I think the main thing is looking at each individual that you're coaching um, within sport or physical activity um, and recognising what they need to have access to an opportunity and the things that you can provide to them as a coach, as a volunteer um, or whatever your involvement within it to be able to help them have access to that, to enjoy what it is that they're doing um, and get the best out of them as well. What, what does it mean from your point of view? Inclusive coaching from, from a coach education and a, a learning perspective means you've got to truly understand all of the range of individuals that might walk into your sports centre or walk onto your pitch. Um, You have people with a whole range of special needs. Now that might be male, female, younger, older. It could be definitions based around race and opportunity. I think what coaches need to be able to do is genuinely understand the athletes that are presented in front of them in, in any of those contexts and start to work with and provide experiences for those individuals that those individuals need. So I think inclusive coaching is just good coaching. Unfortunately, we need, to, we need more of the good coaching in our day-to-day practice. Mm. And, and quite often, um, we just want the coaches to be the best they can be and try. 
and have the confidence to work with different groups. And they might make errors, and that's absolutely fine. And lots of uh, experienced coaches have started making loads and loads of errors with different groups. But only when you do that and accept those errors does your coaching become better. Mm -hmm. um, so inclusive coaching for us is working with uh, all groups of people and the special need is to try and um, provide adaptab adaptability and flexibility with your knowledge. How does this best fit the group that sits in front of me today? Mm -hmm. Would you say there were one or two overarching themes that came out of what they were saying about what inclusive coaching meant to them? I think there was a massive element um, of discussion around care. It wasn't necessarily mentioned, the, the, like, the actual word of care, but I think it's quite clear that all of the coaches that we spoke to um, cared about the participants, the athletes that they coached, um, and always put them first, always made sure that they were listening to their needs, listening to how they felt on a particular day, and just taking each day as as it, it was and as they needed to. Um, and the biggest thing is about learning on the job as well. I think... Um, one of the things that was mentioned in um, Sarah and Sophie's podcast is Sophie mentioned it's always about learning on the job. Um, and I think that's there's a lot of truth in that because no one can teach you um, how, how to coach somebody, how to be an inclusive coach. You know, you can go through all the education you want, um, but it's all about learning whilst doing because everyone is different. Um, everyone learns differently. So you need to get to know them individually and personally to know how to help them and how to give them the access to those opportunities. That, that care bit's fascinating, uh, Bronwyn. I think what came through from all of our participants in the podcast series is, is how they all care, how they're all passionate. Um, and taking us into the future, what's really important for the coaching workforce is this ability to create safe, secure, supportive environments for their athletes where they really then enjoy their participation experience or whether they really enjoy their performance experience. Um, the demands on performers in the nicest sense are they're there to enjoy it. They're there to enjoy their sport and physical activity. And we collectively, we want them to come back. We want them to keep coming back, keep enjoying their experiences. And the coach's role in that is to create environments where there can be fun, where there is learning, where they can maximise outcomes of participation and at the elite level, maximise their performance. But regardless of level and wherever you coach in the pathway, this ability to create safe, caring environments is vital. So the coaches that are listening to this, Andy, that are looking at picking up tips, picking up advice, picking up new ways of thinking to approach inclusive coaching, what would, what would we say to them? I think the first thing to say is give it a go. Be the best coach you can be with, with whatever audience you've got. Um, lots of experienced coaches have, have all started their coaching career transitioning from being players at whatever that level into being a coach. And a common theme that comes out is always they've made lots of errors along the way and their biggest learning episodes is, is making errors with different groups. So I think for coaches out there listening about should I get involved with inclusive groups and special groups and populations? Absolutely. Don't be afraid of it. Have a go. Make the errors. 
feel the buzz, feel the passion, feel the warmth. You know, a lot of our um, elite uh, coaches that have worked with inclusive groups talk about how they've learnt from the participants and how they've learnt how to coach from participants and it becomes a dual role of development. Um, so the advice would be, don't be afraid. Um, it is dif different. It's not difficult, but don't be afraid to have a go. Um, try and talk to your athletes, understand where they're coming from and try and adapt and be flexible with your practice at whatever knowledge base you've got. Ask them, is this meeting your needs? Are you enjoying the session? Um, can I do anything more for you? Don't be afraid to open those conversations as a coach. All coaches don't know all of the answers, so it's absolutely fine to, to not be sure. I think there's one point to make in terms of those, the skill sets that they're developing through this can actually just set them up for careers outside of coaching. That being able to stand in front of an audience and deliver information and guide and steer people is a real leadership skill. And whatever industry they choose to go to, if, it, if it's outside coaching, then being a volunteer part-time coach is great. But it, those skill sets can actually take you through life and actually build that confidence and that employability for young coaches. But um, actually just using your skills and, as older coaches, because there's a real big push at the moment in terms of that 50-plus generation, is, is don't write them off. Um, they've got a lot to bring, so get them coaching. Um, they've got a lot to bring in terms of life experience. Some of the key messages were, were beautifully posed by our, our guests on the programmes. But the one thing that stood out for me was where they talk about communication and how communication from the coach to their athletes was vital and how the, the ability to listen <laughs> to the athletes was vital in understanding what they then wanted from a given session, whether that be uh, an indoor tennis session, whether it be an outdoor uh, activity session, but really genuinely listening uh, and understanding what the athlete needs becomes so important in these types of programmes. So one of the coaches we spoke to was, was Dan Thorpe. His main coaching background was in tennis. Um, he'd coached locally in Worcestershire before ending up as a uh, head of development at the LTA. Uh, and now he runs Redgate Sports, um, which, is, which is a programme which delivers sports to children who, who don't regularly get the opportunity to play. He said a lot about using his experience as a volunteer to tailor what he does, putting the athlete's needs first which is something I think that a lot of our coaches said about inclusive coaching. And also we focused on the, the, the coach-athlete relationship and developing great rapport. The most important thing that we've figured out as we've sort of started to work with a range of different, a range of different kids through the programme is that we've got to be flexible um, and we've got, to, uh, we've got to really work hard to understand the needs of the children that come to us so that we can make sure that we adapt the programme to give them the, the to give them the sport experience that's uh, that's right for them and that, that helps them that helps them progress so i guess that it's it's that sort of not over planning and understanding that we need to really learn about the children that come and then build the program around them and their needs i think that's where we've had the most success because we've been able to you know to build the program that's right for them i think the other thing has been about listening to the people who are already supporting those children so, you know, all the children we work with are already somewhere. They're always being, you know, they're being looked after with, by an agency or by a, um, a school or somewhere like that. And those teachers that are working with them know those kids better than anybody else. So the, the easy win always for us is to make sure we have a good chat with them, talk about the programme and figure out how, um, how to best to go forward from there. Okay. I think the um, next key for me is about developing rapport quickly in the session. So I think the first 
the first 10 minutes is, is really important. And I think you've got to become an expert at how to develop rapport. And you've got to be aware that a lot of the ways that we traditionally develop rapport are actually quite intrusive. So things like sometimes what I'll do is I'll leave my equipment in the car or I'll leave the equipment off the court. And so, so the kids arrive, I might just say, um, oh, actually, I'm, I'm not ready yet. Um, can, you, can you help me get set up? So we'll just go and, we'll just go and get the kit. Uh, and then, so you create a sort of uh, something that's happening. And then in that, you can then say, you know, what you've been doing today or, um, oh, I like, what, tell me about those shoes. Do you know what I mean? You just find yeah. sort of neutral things to talk about. And that's the starting point in terms of rapport. Steve, that, that idea of communication is obviously key in coaching, but rapport is going gonna, is gonna to be, I think, what makes the difference with inclusive coaching. Because we've said before, it's about understanding each athlete. It, 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 for me, it's, it's come up in the discussion in terms of that listening, that being able to listen, understand that, okay, someone's having a good day, bad day, um, they're tired, they're energetic, and being able to adapt and, and be flexible. But also in terms of look at the needs, in terms of getting, um, as you, if you're talking about grassroots football and you're thinking, okay, some of it's about technical ability, some of it's just really putting that joy and fun into the activity as well and actually listening um, to, to the audience and, and, and understanding that it's not working. So let's inject some energy and some fun into this. But also as someone goes through the elite pathway, actually getting feedback from the athlete themselves so they can influence the way things, oh, I'm not happy with this, can we do that? I'd like to focus on that. And listening uh, is, is really quite a really important part of that. So whether it's grassroots or elite, listening, listening skills. Well, and what would you say to coaches who are maybe, you know, and we've talked about confidence already, but who, who are unwary of attempting to force those sort of relationships or, you know, or over, overdo that idea of trying to create rapport? Well, again, it depends on the technical ability and where, where in the pathway that they are. But, but if you're thinking about um, just ask, asking some of those key questions. Okay, would we try that? How did that go? How did you get on with that? Do we need to try it again? Do we need to try something different? Um, asking some of those key questions and, and listening to the feedback and then adapting the program. I mean, there's, um, you can have a, the best coaching plan in the world, but if part one's not working, um, you need to reflect and adapt. Um, there's no point continuing down your, 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 your program if part one didn't work. So um, yeah. asking those key questions and listening to those answers. And also the idea about building your own experiences as well, because a lot of these coaches, like Dan said it specifically, but a lot of these coaches will talk about using that experience, not necessarily in a particular sport or a particular discipline, but just with people. Yeah, and it's yeah, understanding people that, that, especially some of the, the, the examples that we've had in terms of that disability sport is, and, and you really do need to work hard, especially when you don't necessarily understand the, the, the complexities of the ability or disability that you do need to work on those listening skills and really just to try and, and empathise um, with... Yeah, it might be challenging to get to the session and they might be uh, might be shattered before they get to the session because it's complicated. But, yeah, and being able to, to, to adapt. But arguably the rewards are greater. Yeah, there's nothing better than a, than a coach, instructor, a leader that... that to, for people to leave with a smile in their face and a spring in their step. I mean, it, it's we do this because we enjoy it. It's fun. People keep coming back week after week because they enjoy it. 
and, and that's the reward, I guess, is is that people keep coming back because they're enjoying it, they're learning. Yeah, great. Some people are in it just to f- have fun. Relationships is, a, is another vital aspect, along with communication, that's just a key competency for coaches moving forwards. Um, the ability to develop relationships uh, at all aspects of the pathway. You know, Dan talked about, uh, within his tennis, the ability of relating to people in all sports, in, in all ages, at all pathways. This relationship skill, the art of coaching, is really, really important. For the majority of environments, you need the, the ability to create this safe, supported uh, environment where relationships can flourish. So let's go on to talk about um, Sarah Carter and Sophie Carter and the chat we had with them. Um, so Sarah's a Team GB head coach of inclusive skating. She's coached figure skating for a, over a decade. Uh, and that's people of all ages, abilities and disabilities kind of by design. And she's grown that team. She's achieved a lot with them. Um, and then Sophie, who was with her, no relation um, either, weirdly, but um, she's a member of that team who's progressed to actually become an assistant coach. So it was great to hear about her experiences going from being an athlete to becoming a coach. Um, and kind of what it meant to be an inclusive coach under Sarah's stewardship. Now, now Sarah spoke a lot about that idea of safety within a team, and it goes back to that idea about care that that we've spoken about already. Um, she mentioned the idea about you know making sure that every member of the team feels safe, and that helps foster the element of team. For me, it's the fundamental thing of being a coach is making sure that everybody knows that they are safe, and everybody knows that they can speak to anybody else in the team and somebody will help. Like we have a WhatsApp group and if somebody puts a question in there, I know it doesn't have to be me that answers it. And by the time that I've seen it, by the time I got off the ice, nine times at 10, three people have gone, oh, you need to do this. Yeah. And it, the problem yeah. is resolved. Um, and I've purposely structured my team from the day one of me coaching, purposely had that atmosphere and that element of this is a team, it's an individual sport but it needs to be a team environment and you know like Sophie said everybody helps everybody else out mm. and especially when, when we do do in-person competitions every single parent knows that if a skater comes to them and says have you got a safety pin have you got a plaster have you got a sewing kit then it's their job that they have to have those things on them and they just go yes and they just deal with it you know there's there's been dads in the past that have suddenly learned how to fix bra cups at the competition (laughs) silly things like that but it's it's what builds the team i think that resonated with you quite a bit didn't it bron yeah i think so um particularly and i know sarah mentioned it that skating is predominantly an individual sport but she really focused on how she created a team environment within um the team that she's developed over the years and even Sophie touched on it as well of of how much it, it helped the dynamics of the team that Sarah can she can be coaching a couple of of of, of her kids and Sophie can then be helping alongside like sorry and then Sophie can go off and, and help with somebody else and um, she mentioned about the relationships with the parents and carers as well and just how everybody takes part and again that's a massive thing with being inclusive it's not just about 
that person there but it's about helping them and providing the support around them that they need so Sarah being able to rely on Sophie to go and help out one of one of the kids or, or one of her adults as well um, without needing to to kind of go to Sarah whilst, so Sarah can focus on one thing Sophie can go and help on another thing and then if needed they both know that there's the support of both the parents the carers at the side of the rink that are there um I know she mentioned things about like competitions and stuff um and everyone being able to help and I just think it's it's a massive thing to to not just look at what you see in in the instant picture it's it's looking outside of that picture and what's around it as well I think it was really inspiring just to sort of see how that she's got this whole team approach and it's the person that comes first and I think she spoke about um improving them beyond the performance in the activity it was about perform you know helping them for their own personal development for it um i think everything about it was sort of how they do this team approach to it so they are all in this together and they all support each other so she is coaching this caring approach and actually everyone in the team is empowered to do this caring approach and, and gave a number of examples of how she did that which was was brilliant Simon Fisher was somebody else we spoke to. Um, he's a wheelchair basketball coach of the Worcester Wolves, uh, Worcester Wolves women's PL team. He's also got experience at the Paralympic Games and European Championships as well. Um, and again, that, that attention on the athlete was very big with him. He talked about engrossing himself in the sport in the early days. If you remember, he talked about getting in a chair himself. I think that the biggest thing about wheelchair basketball for many people is to understand that you don't have to be in a wheelchair to play the game so we'll have many people that what we call walk to the court they could be overbodied they could be uh, amputees and they get into a wheelchair to play so therefore the ability to move a chair is, is is actually one of the hardest things so I spent probably a good part of that first year I was coaching actually going to other sessions and joining in you know my arms hurt my shoulders hurt at the end of it you know but they could see that I made the effort to try and be part of their sport and to learn how a chair moves. Now, I'm not going to be as, as great as some of the, the players that I coach, but if they can see that effort, they can see that connection, then it gives you an appreciation of what you're trying to do. Andy, from, a, from leaders, leadership and vulnerability in leadership seems to be something that's quite, not new, but certainly a different approach. And I think we found with what Simon was saying is that actually works very much as a a coaching technique, a coaching method, an, an attribute of being an inclusive coach. Simon was uh, really on the front foot about the importance of developing trust, uh, allowing the coach to understand themselves as a coach, and then by doing that, the athletes to uh, come to trust the coach uh, by working with them over time. He talked about patience, he talked about emotional challenges, um, and I think Throughout Simon's podcast, he, he was he was highlighting the importance of collaborative approaches between the athletes and the coaches. That over time, both parties help each other. Um, and but he stressed this the, the patience um, and and this rapport and investment that links back to the care, the investment in one another of of trying to help each other and move on. Um, and there are many, many challenges about in Simon's uh, sphere about operating with uh, athletes in wheelchairs. And yes, his vulnerability shone through and the opportunities of uh, coaches learning through putting themselves in environments that they're not aware of. What, what does that do to you as a coach? I, mean, I know, first off, you've got to be prepared to sort of step out of your comfort zone. 
but but in in theory that that is that's it's great for your development and your team surely i think one of the things in communicating in developing relationships in leadership is you start to make assumptions and one of the things that you can't do as a coach is make assumptions about where the athlete's coming from only the athlete knows why they're there the motivations have been there what they want how much they're prepared to commit and what simon's episode is beautiful at is um highlighting the fact that all the athletes are different and don't make assumptions that they all want the same thing uh, what does success look like well success looks different things for different athletes and his challenge was putting together uh, multiple athletes at multiple levels of, of disability and classification onto the court at a moment in time where they could all contribute to success uh, in the game mm-hmm. Simon also spoke about the the sort of keeping things current. It's that ongoing development for him all the time, whether it's from the participants or whether it's something he spoke about when he sort of takes from other sports and watches and observes and takes new ideas and this lifelong learning. And I think for me, what what came over is every single session, he's learning something new, whether that's about the participant and how they respond and, and different ways that they work together. Rebecca Foster is somebody else who mentioned that idea of comfort zone. Uh, when she went outside her comfort zone, you know, just so she could develop relationships with inclusive athletes. Because, you know, although a lot of her experience and her proud moments were working with athletes of different ages and, and working at how to relate to them, um, she talked more about going outside of a comfort zone. I think it's about pushing those boundaries of if you're nervous about approaching someone who uh, might be in a power chair and they might not have eye contact with you, um, you might be worried of the that you might offend. Where you know they'll let you know if you they offend you. Why not just try? And if you get uh, the response from both ends and it, and it's mutual, then. Wow, what a great moment for for both of you to have have recognised someone's existence as opposed to just walking past them. Rebecca's example was magnificent. She talked about what does your athlete need? What do they really want? How can coaches or support workers pass on knowledge to try and help? But she also raised the issue about the duty on coaches, about trying to understand where the athletes are coming from. That's a duty of a coach, no matter where they are in the pathway of we're there to help support this athlete. And that could be a really simple need or a really complex need. But it, it's incumbent on the coach to, to want to understand. And she went on and talked about how learning sign language was, was key to her communicating with her athletes, but how she made mistakes and errors and it was absolutely okay. And, and that was good and developing rapport with the athletes then who would, would help her in understanding the sign language. It was all part of that relationship development. Simon, what what do you think of Rebecca? I think it was really good. And as you say, it's how she pushes herself out of the comfort zone to learn quicker uh, and the other areas that she's working. I love the the comment that that she made in terms of just don't talk about it, just don't write about it, just go and do it. Just learn and put yourself out there. Put yourself, again, going back to that vulnerability, you are going to be learning, but the people that are receiving the coaching, they don't care. They'll be on part of that journey as well. Uh, you know, she's not an MBE for nothing. She was, yeah, <laughs> inspiring. Because, uh, you know, that, she talks about that idea that she, alongside all the sport and coaching, she's a support worker as well. So that, again, improves her approach to relationships, how to reach out to people. And it's funny how that all comes back into working in inclusive coaching. 
Um, we spoke to a gentleman called Glyn Harding, who um, has done, done for the last 20 years or so, he's been at the university helping people become through coaches through disability coaching degrees, people who've gone on to elite level at Premier League football teams. Um, and, and he's also part of these, you know, all of these incredible groups, the veterans football side that he, he runs and coaches. He supports the work that uh, the guys do with the West Bromwich Albion Foundation um, and then the disability football that he's involved in as well. Um, the big thing for him, I think, that I got was, was the fact that he talked about um, looking for ways as a coach to make an impact a lot of young people come here think they're going to be getting a job at Everton Football Club or Aston Villa as a coach, ultimately maybe with the first team. As they develop through the, the there's a bit of realism kicks in, that there's very few jobs at, at that level and they're usually for ex-players. However, they can have more impact going to coach the under-13s or the under-14s and it's actually now a full-time job. So try working with girls, try working with lads, try work with elite players. Go and coach a deaf team and you might find that's your forte, your gift. Bron, did you think Glyn was a good example of how we can say to coaches, you know, look, look, explore those avenues and just, just try a few things out because there's probably more available than you think? Yeah, I think, I think he, he really showed that there's a massive range of things you can do um, and you can cover a lot of areas, even just in, in one sport. Um, and that he showed that, again, like going going with that impact side, that it's not just about having an impact in kind of a, a wide community and stuff. It's about that impact on the individual themselves because for them, success could be just being able to get out on the field and kick a ball about, or it might be being able to take part in a competition. You know, he, he spoke a lot about um the different levels of players so in the vets you've got some of those that have have come from playing football for all their life so they want to still be running around a field taking part in competition but you've also got those that have entered into the football community at a later stage so they're not there wanting to run around a field they want to be doing some walking football and for them the impact is just about getting active and and being able to take part and socialize with people and I think he showed that there's so many skills that you can learn as a coach and learn how to be adaptable and flexible from coaching and and just even socialising with those different groups of individuals, whether that's with the vets, with the young, the youth kids and stuff, or with university students. Um, and it's being able to gain a lot of experience. And, and again, it comes to that learning on the job, the more you can do, and the more you can not be afraid of, of doing and, and taking part in, that actually um, you'll always be growing and learning as a coach and and it's it's okay to make those mistakes and stuff but the more you do the more you can make an impact on an individual and in in the the wider picture of things that makes a bigger impact for the community because you've got more people taking part in sport and physical activity Simon all of our coaches are good examples of of how passion for their sport or their their profession you know was passed on but Glyn was especially 
I love the journey, and I think it's, he's, he's just meandered. I, I think if you asked him at the beginning of his career, what would he like to be doing in 5 or 10, 15, 20 years, he probably would have had different thoughts, but he's followed he's, his passions, he's followed where he's get, he knows that he can make a huge difference to people's lives, um, and I think that story, that, that flexibility, that um, ability to be flexible in terms of what you do is something that comes through in all of the coaches, but it almost comes through in the way that he's followed his journey to, to where he is and what he's coaching and and what he's obviously getting out of it from a range of people um, but not planned he's in a, in a positive way I think Glenn highlighted the beautiful um, position of sport and physical activity as, as an educational vehicle as um, the more opportunities we can give young and old people um, the experiences of touching sport and physical activity in different ways, how that can then be used to give them a better quality of life, uh, better physical returns, better mental returns. And this sport as an educational development vehicle is why we need to invest in our coaches and our workforce. They need to understand it is not just about winning matches and performances. It's the experience of participants being in sporting programmes can be so rich just by being there. Um, and that has value in itself, not about the winning. Really important to remember that as a coach when you're coming into a sport or a new area of what you're up to, um, of that impact you can have. We spoke to uh, a chap called Tom, Tom Reeves, who's uh, an amateur rugby player, turned his hand at coaching at a local level and youth level before coming across uh, Worcester's mixed ability rugby side a few years ago. Um, he moved from being a rugby player to the coach of that side. Um, he talked a lot about how something we've all said and everybody seems to, to be saying about how, you know, if you're, if you're not inclusive in your coaching, you're not doing a good job of it to start with. Do you know what? All good coaching should be inclusive, whoever you're coaching. If you, your coaching is not inclusive, you're doing it wrong. And that doesn't matter who your audience is. Because um, if you're all, you know, if they're all able-bodied and they're all men and they're all 15 you've still got a squad of, I don't know, 20, 30 people who are all different. They have a lot of similarities and maybe more than some other teams, but they are all different. They'll have different fears. They'll have different objectives, come from different places, have trained and learned for different amounts of time, um, have different um, you know, pluses and, and weaknesses in their skill set. So it has to be inclusive. And I think that's changed me. I, I've, I've, mixed ability sport, mixed ability rugby has changed me as a person. I never, I didn't have as much empathy for other people's point of view, other people's problems, challenges in life. And, and I like to think this has improved me as a person. And I, and I usually say to most people when they start as well, I, I kind of remind them, I say, look, everyone here and everyone in life has something. It could be that they still like to go to bed with a teddy bear that they had when they were eight years old. They still might, they might still need to have the light on on the landing when they go to sleep. It might be something bigger, they might have PTSD might suffer with dyspraxia, dyslexia, uh, depression, um, you know, bipolar. Uh, they might have a eating disorder. They might have sensory needs. They might have physical disabilities. Everything, everyone's got something. And if people keep that in mind when they come to a session, then they'll fit right in. And that usually then opens the door to a conversation about whatever their the challenge is. I mean, it was it, it's kind of a lot of the themes we've seen through everybody, but he, he made a real point of it, didn't he, Simon? He did. I, I think I really liked some of the things that, that he was saying. He was sort of, he sort of had three mantras that he wanted. Is, is did, they, did they enjoy it? 
did, will they come back again? And at the end of that session, did they get a little bit better? Even at the next time, <laughs> they go back a step or two. It, it was, and I thought that was just really that simplicity for it. Um, and what he said at the beginning in terms of you know good coaching, it reminds me, John Wooden, an American basketball coach said, a good coach can win a game, a great coach can change people's lives. And I think that, to me, was something that he really sort of highlighted what he could do. I mean, he'd been on quite a fast-paced journey himself. I mean, he's gone from this, this, you know, in the last few years, but he's then picked up this award for for good for inclusive coaching. And it, it's not that it was second nature to him, but it kind of felt a little bit kind of some of it was just, you know, that common sense approach to to taking on a team. It was just natural for him, seemingly. It was seeming that's what he was there to do, and it, it, there wasn't anything unexpected or different that he was doing but there was because he worked with a team of coaches to to be able to help the others in there he really cared about those people and that's the difference that he made he didn't set out to win the award and he was very and I think as we said earlier as Andy mentioned earlier he was humble in terms of you know not necessarily worthy of it didn't know why he got it but it's because he's he really cares about those people wants to make a difference to their days which will make a difference to their lives moving forward mm -hmm. Tom's story is a magnificent one because he also went into the realms and he was really, really honest in his podcast bit about how his athletes saved him. He talked about being um, you know, in, in a difficult place at times and, and this is the beauty of sport, how if set right, the environments can be great for the participants, but the rewards for coaches can be fantastic as well. He said he loved being around people and the joy that being around people brought to him. Um, and I think in, in modern society now, this ability to be with people, communicate and be in a social place is really, really important. And for our young people and some of our old people, um, how to communicate and be with people is really, really important. I think that's one thing that coaches can do. And in Tom's story, um, you know, he talked about super serving his athletes. And I thought, wow, what a lovely phrase that was. Yeah. I also loved when he was talking about sport being the vehicle but not the destination. Uh, I think that was, they've, they've come, the reason that they've come there is to find a connection, a, a, a purpose for being there. You know, it's, 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 they're part of a sort of family. They feel that they're at home. There's a support structure for them. There's a place of belonging. Um, and I think that came through really strongly. That's what he could offer. So look, I think that's enough from us. I think we want to let everybody go and, and take in these these episodes with our coaches that we've spoken to because they are have sh they are sharing so many great insights and so many great experiences and also sharing the rewards that they've experienced already. Um, but from your point of view, um, Andy, what what else is it we really want people to take away from from our from our coaches and what we've spoken to them about? I think we want to say to all coaches that are out there, there is support available. Um, and from a University of Worcester's perspective, there are formal courses, there are some informal courses, there are staff with, with excellent sets of information around inclusive coaching and inclusive adaptive PE and what that looks like. So we would invite coaches and people out there who want to get involved with coaching to contact us at the university. We want to help develop more coaches. We want to help develop coaches who are confident working with all groups um, and we know it's a lifelong process um, but we want to grow the numbers of coaches we want to grow the quality of coaches but we want to grow their confidence with working with different people um, we want coaches to have the right values and morals and care 
and create supportive environments and we want successful outcomes in terms of impacts in participation and performance. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we want this programme along with Active Hereford and Worcester to be a local environment where we support local workforce. Simon, what, what, what will success from your point of view look like? I think more coaches giving it a go. So there are more sessions which are put on for people, uh, more inclusive sessions that are put on that, that will be rewarding for the coach, but also rewarding for the participant to be able to do it. From what we've heard from the other coaches, you'll love it and, and just give it a go. Bron, where, where, where can we go next? So um, we're really keen on creating a support network, being able to network with coaches, volunteers, anyone wanting to get involved in sport or already involved in sport. Um, so with our coaching academy, we're hosting events um, and lots of information can be found on the Active Heritage and Worcestershire website, uh, which is activehw.co.uk. Um, there's a page, Club Coach and Volunteer Support, which has got the Coaching Academies page on. That's got information and resources for coaches, clubs, volunteers, organisations. Um, and I think it's just really important to remember that we're here to support anybody, um, whether you're a coach that's no longer coaching, wants to get back into it, um, somebody who has never coached before and w wants to get involved or you don't really want to coach but you still want to get involved in, in sport um, or physical activity we're here to support that we want to network with you and help you guys network um, so get in contact with us and, and come and attend some of the events that we're hosting and, and learn a bit more Great, guys thank you very much for your time thank you for being part of it Andy thank you very much no, thank you for Active Hereford and Worcester for working with us on this project. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. And Bron, thank you. Thank you. And Stephen, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great to have your insight on this. Yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to see how, how it develops. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, we've given you a little taste of what each of the chats with our coaches will offer. Now it's over to you to go and check them out. Thanks to Andrew and Simon, Steve and Bronwyn. And remember, if you want to know anything about the Coaches Network or get more support on your coaching journey, get to the Active Herefordshire and Worcestershire website. It is activehw.co.uk. See you soon.